0: We're going to look at three passages of Scripture tonight, and loyalty. That's where we're going to be. And so if you want to turn there now, we're, I'm going to talk a little bit first, and then we're, we're going to get to these three passages. Ruth chapter 1, I don't know if you're going to be able to hold all three of these. Ruth chapter 1, first Samuel chapter 18, and John chapter 13. Now, I know that seems to be all over the map, and to be honest with you, it slightly is. Um, but there are three, ex- there, three lessons on loyalty tonight. I'm praying that we get to all of them, but we're going to do at least as best we can. Let me give you the big idea. I'm going to tell you up front what I'm trying to accomplish in one sentence. Uh, You need to uh, be loyal to Jesus supremely and everyone else proportionately. All right? And I'm going to try to show you that from Scripture tonight. Uh, You need to be loyal to Jesus supremely and everyone else proportionately. Um, Let me start with this. Everyone is loyal to someone or something. On my vacation, I took a tour with my wife to the Dallas Cowboys' unbelievably gigantous football stadium. And it was incredible. I don't like the Cowboys. I was told by Pastor Dave that if I got a chance to stand on the center star of the field to stomp on it for him, I I didn't get that chance. But everyone has teams, and you're loyal to them. Unfortunately, I've been a Detroit fan since I was small, and it hasn't been easy, but... Sports teams, everyone ha- a lot of people have them. Loyal to your country. Um, people are loyal to their origin, their birth origin, place, their citizenship. Loyal to your spouse. I wish I could tell you that was more popular than it really is, but it's not. Loyal to your children, your family, uh, to your best friends. Loyal to certain beliefs and convictions that you hold, and you're not going to budge from them. Um, it's not in vogue to be any of these things anymore. It's not fashionable. That's certainly true. People are loyal to their ethnicity and their race. Um, probably a little bit, okay, a lot of political parties. People are loyal to their political parties, um, loyal to their jobs and the companies they work for. Again, probably not nearly like it was anymore. I mean, people will pretty much leave in a short period of time for better pays and benefits and so forth. Um, Loyal to their church. I hope that's true. Uh, loyal to certain news channels. Oh, You know, if I'm liberal, I may watch MSNBC or if I'm conservative, more Fox News. But, you know, I only watch this channel and, and so forth and so on. Did you see on one of the news channels, um, I'm not going to say it because then you'll try to judge me, but um, did you see the couple that was 72 years married? older couple they had to spend a year apart from each other because one of them got covid and then they had to be put in a nursing home and then you couldn't go in the nursing home kind of like jack kestenbaum right now you can't go over there because they don't take visitors and you had to be in there and you can't go out and so they had they were 72 years married but they didn't see each other for a year and then they showed on tv the news the reunion because i think they were like upper 90s and uh middle upper 90s and it was so cute i mean they were crying and everything like that. and The the discouraging part was 72 years, I go, Chris, you're not even halfway there. So that that was a little depressing for her. But loyalty. Loyalty is a commodity. Can I say a trait? We adore it. We really do. Um, Pastor Martins, 36 years pastor of this church. Can I tell you, that doesn't happen hardly anymore. You know the average stay of the senior pastor, how many years it is? Youth pastors, two to three Senior pastors, five years. It, just, it, it really doesn't happen anymore. I mean, but let me tell you this. Loyalty is a reflection of the things in life that you care about the most. It's a reflection of that. Let me give it to you another way. Loyalty is demonstrated when you choose who or what you give your commitment, respect, and affection to. That's how it's shown. It's demonstrated. That's why, hear me, that's why betrayal of that loyalty when it happens, is so painful and destabilizing. Why? Because these are the people or the things that you care about the most, the people that you love the most. And when they betray you or they're disloyal to you, it's really painful. Why? Because you care so deeply about them. That's why loyalty at its base is about trust. Um, That is the heart of loyalty. And so it doesn't take a lot of talk, does it, for us to grasp the first point And that is that loyalty must be based on truth. Um, Loyalty is absolutely something that we look and and, and admire in so many different ways. I've always admired my dad, not because he was perfect. But, you know, I saw a different side of my dad. um, And it took him a little bit to get there when my mom had Alzheimer's. Um, But my dad remained loyal to her the last nine years of their marriage before she died I mean she died right after a few months after him actually he didn't, he, he, she lived longer than he did um, but to see my dad go up every day my dad told me he went to the Alzheimer's unit every day for lunch and he was always there for a couple hours and there's another guy that he saw regularly who didn't start out regularly but came more regularly because he saw my dad coming regularly and my dad said out of the 16 people that were in my mom's unit he was the only one who came more than once every three months and the people that Their husbands or spouses that were there all lived in town. So my dad said he was the only one who lived in town who came more than once every three months. That's incredible to me. But that's the way it is today. Um, Have you ever seen someone remain loyal to the job? I've seen this in the secular world especially. Um, They pass up bigger promotions, bigger pay, bigger notoriety. Um, they stay at the same job, and we admire that. The question is, have we adopted loyalty? Um, one writer I read this week said, here's what loyalty meant to them, stick ability. There was a stickiness to them. They just stuck to it. They, they didn't turn their back on what they were doing. And, and, and one of the main causes of being able to do that, can I say, is it's based on truth. Um, Let me say the opposite to start off under number one a little bit. Counterfeit loyalties. There are false standards of loyalty. What I would call worldly or distorted definitions. Um, Someone says that you can be loyal to a point. That would probably be the working MO of most people today when it comes to loyalty in our culture. They would say loyalty is to a point. In other words, I'll stand by you as long as you do the right things by me. Um, Of course, we live in what's been labeled a cancel culture, and so if you do something wrong, or it's even thought that you could do, you're doing something wrong, even though it's not been proven, then you are canceled, you are cut off. And there isn't really a lot of loyalty anymore in, in a lot of those ways. Um, so again, on the other side of the spectrum, there's blind loyalty. Blind loyalty is that I'm loyal to people, um, and I want them to be loyal to me, but they can't ask any questions. So I, I've heard of, even in church situations, where people uh, are not allowed to ask questions. They're not allowed to criticize people um, who are in leadership because it's considered disloyal. So they, but they want you to be loyal just because you're the pastor and they're in the pew, and so you're supposed to be loyal and never question anything. I'm grateful. I don't know if you know what this word is. Psychophant. You ever heard of psychophant? You probably have heard of that word. But basically, we would say you're a yes person. Yes, man. we used to say. In other words, you just say yes because that's what you're expected to do. And, and that's blind loyalty. Blind loyalty really is no loyalty at all. And a good church, and I'm thankful to be a part of this one who is, that you, we have pastors who um, have feel very free to uh, tell me, Pastor Walker, you shouldn't have done that or that's not the way that should be or this should be better. We have deacons who do that. And, and, and I'm glad to be a part of that situation um, and I'm and, and, and very thankful for that because loyalty has to be grounded in truth. Friendships cannot make it. They won't make it unless they have biblical loyalty. Marriages do not and have not and, and will not make it unless they have loyalty. Businesses don't make it. Churches and schools, they don't make it unless they have are filled with people with the right kind of loyalty. And we all need, including me, we all need people who will be our friends and be loyal to us and be with us and and stand by our side when the chips are down. We need those kind of people and there are not that many of them around. But we also need people who have our back but they also speak to our face. Right? They have your back but they're also not afraid to speak to your face. They tell you to your face, not behind your back, not talking to somebody else. But they'll come to you and say, hey, here's what I think about that. And here's what, you know, my view of that is. Let me hear what you have to say about those issues. Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And truthfully, when you have a loyal person in your life, they don't just tell you what you want to hear. They tell you what you need to hear often. So loyalty detached from truth is no loyalty at all. Now, I'm going to give you two more principles, and they are based on the three passages and the three relationships that we're going to look at. And we're going to take and unpack these last two uh, a little bit better. Ruth to Naomi. So if you'll turn to chapter, Ruth chapter 1. Do you ever mess up where Ruth and, and Esther are? Do you ever get that? That's me. You think after all the years I've studied the Bible that I could know the books of the Bible in order properly, but sometimes I struggle with that. Number, chapter 1, let me give you the principle, uh, and each one of these stories are going to give the example of the same principle. So it's not Ruth has one and Jonathan and David have one, and Jesus and his disciples. Have, no, Each one of them share these last two principles each, and so we're going to kind of go at it that way. But the lesson is, here's loyalty lesson number two. Lesson number one was loyalty has to be based on forged, um, shaped by truth. So number two is this. All horizontal loyalty must be anchored in vertical loyalty. Okay, I'm going to say it again. All horizontal loyalty must be anchored in vertical loyalty. Let me say it another way. Our loyalty to others must come from and spring out of our loyalty to God. If you do not have your loyalty to God right and ordered, you will not have your secondary loyalty right either. So let me say it this way, third way. If you don't have your supreme loyalty right, you will have your secondary loyalties all wrong. Okay, they go together. So you're going to put too much weight on your spouse and too much loyalty to your friends and to your family or to your political party. You're going to put way too much weight on that if God isn't supreme. The way you keep this, or this is why I said before, see, we we are loyal to Jesus supremely and everything else proportionally. Proportionally to what? To our supreme loyalty to him. It controls all the other loyalties. And to the degree that I can be loyal to Jesus and be loyal to you, that's the proportion that I have to have. And you're going to see that in these passages, because you're going to find out that the context of loyalty to others has to be our devotion to God. Let me show you what it looks like with Ruth and Naomi, and we're going to read chapter one and verse fifteen. And she said, "See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people." This is Naomi talking to Ruth about Orpah leaving. You know the story. They have uh, Naomi is married to Elimelech, and they have. Two sons, they go to Moab because there's a famine. They're in Moab and they end up marrying two Moabitess women. Um, The husband dies of Naomi. And then not too long after, the two husbands of the two Moabitess women die. And there's it's three women left by themselves. That's the context of this. In a famine time, it's not good. They have to go back to Bethlehem where they're from. Hopefully someone in their family will help take care of them. Because when you have no males in your family, the husband, the two other husbands, the younger men, all died, you are not going to make it. Three women just aren't going to make it. Uh, They have no money. They have no wherewithal. So it's a very, very difficult place to be. So that's the context. And so we read this. She tells in her older age, Naomi says, Hey, I'm not going to have any more children. So you're not... You know, I'm not going to supply you with another husband. And even if I can have babies, which I can't, um, they couldn't grow up fast enough for you to marry them. So if you are smart, you're going to do what Oprah did. She went back to her people and to her gods, back to Moab, and where she could get some help. That's where you're from. That's where you should go. That's what she's telling her. So verse 15 says, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Remember that phrase, her people, her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. but Now, Circle it in your Bible, because verse four, says it, uh, 14 said it once. Uh, they lifted up their voices and wept again, verse 14, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth. See it again? See, see, underline it. But Ruth. Orpah did this, but in contrast, Ruth did this. 16 does it again. And they want you to set up a contrast between these two sister-in-laws. Verse 16 says, but Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. Here's why. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Now, skip a little bit down. Verse 17, there's three where's in a row. Okay? So there's two levels of loyalty. Uh, Ruth is going to tell Naomi, here's how I want to be loyal to you, on a physical level. And it's marked off by the word where. Where you go, I'll go. So if you go to Bethlehem in Judea, I'm going. Next one, where you live, I'll live, or lodge, basically. And the third one is, where you die, I will die. So let me tell you, how am I going to do this? I'm going to go wherever you go, live wherever you live, and, I'm gonna, and it's not going to be short-term because I'm going to stay there until you die or I die. So this is no small covenant or pledge she's making, right? This is so powerful in the words she's saying that I don't know if it's anymore, but when I was growing up, this was words that were often spoken to husbands and wives in marriage and wedding ceremonies. These were words spoken to your spouse because they were so strong words of covenant and commitment and loyalty. And so the three wares, see, physically I'm going to do what you, but it's more than that. Now watch, go back to that phrase I skipped over. Your people shall be my people, and your God, singular, will be my God. What did, Orpah, what did she say that Orpah did? That she went back to her people and her God, little g, plural. So you know why she, she didn't stay loyal? Because there was no God, not the true God, in the equation. So she could have loyalty up to a point, But without the true God in her life, she went back. I mean, she did love Naomi. She gave her a kiss. She's going to miss her. They cried over it. There was emotions. But the emotions didn't move her to be loyal. And loyalty is not about emotions. Because the context screams to both Oprah and Ruth, don't be loyal to her. She's got nothing to offer you. You, you had her sons and now you have nothing. She doesn't have any money. She can't generate any money. And she's going back to a town that she doesn't even know if she can make it there. And then you're going to be extra and you're not Jewish. <laughs> right? So there's nothing she's getting out of it. So to let yourself think for a moment that emotions is a loyalty thing. I mean, loyalty is an emotional thing. is not what it's about. You know what it is? It's a God thing. That's why it has to be forged in the context of your devotion to God. She went back to her people and her gods. In contrast, Ruth said, No, here's what I'm doing I'm taking your people and your God. Go back and read the rest of the story, and you'll find that that's not just a statement. It has real content to it because she adopts it. In fact, later on in this very chapter, she says, So the Lord do to me if anything but death separates us. So she's already calling Yahweh her God and her Lord. So it it seems like Orpah didn't adopt the God of the Bible, but Ruth did. And that made all the difference in how she responded to Naomi. It was the difference. And let me tell you this. And how you view loyalty and how you view your loyalty to other people will be determined by and shaped by your loyalty to God. Can I tell you, as an example, you won't find the patience, you won't have the kindness, you won't be able to thank the best of someone right off the bat, you'll be able to thank the worst. You'll look at their history and you'll say, oh, this is what they have to offer, or this is what happened in the past, and you won't be able to have the ability to be loyal to someone, and you'll think, you know why? Because you haven't really come to the grips of how loyal God has been to you, because he's not in your life right. You don't get that. But you, when you say, hey, God, look what I've done, and look how loyal you have stuck with me, and you never leave me. See, when you began to grasp the loyalty to, of God in your life, you began to be able to see other people and their failures differently. But if God is not in your life like that, you can say, I get emotional, I feel bad about it, but in the end, yeah, we're done. And having God in the middle of your life ter- makes a huge difference. Now, turn to 1 Samuel 18. Jonathan and David... Now let me give you the scenario here. Jonathan was the crown prince. He was next in line to be the king of Israel after Saul. It was his dad and his family and his name that would be the ongoing monarchy in Israel. But here's what the scenario is. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is Saul's son. Who does Saul's son Jonathan pledge his loyalty to? Not to his dad, who's the king, but to David Instead, Now, I want you to underline it because in verses 1, 3, and 4, if I have it written down right, the little phrase is repeated. Let me read it to you. As soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the son of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Underline it. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Um, Verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And there's another time down there, I think a little bit later, that it says, and he loved him, maybe another chapter actually, loved him with his own soul. Now, here's the point. See, he's waiting in line to be king, but he's not loyal to his dad to the same degree that he is loyal to David. And, and today, those of us who are the 64% said, my biggest struggle of you know, the supremacy of God and my loyalty is my family. And that had to be hard for Jonathan. His dad was the king; he was next to be in line uh, to be and the king. But why was he more loyal to David? Why did, when his dad was trying to kill him, did he go give him reports and say, "Hey, don't come today, and don't do this today, and watch out, my dad's going after you"? In fact, look at the verse says. I think in verse number four, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, his royal robe, and he gave it to David. And what else did he give him? His armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. In other words, all the things that marked him as the part of the royal family and the crown prince, all the things he had—and by the way, you have to read the whole book of 1 Samuel because at the time, things were so bad against the Philistines that Saul and and Jonathan in the battle were the only soldiers who had swords. So when he says he gave him his armor and his sword and his bow and his belt— he is leaving himself completely defenseless. He is putting himself at a really big disadvantage if they go to any battles or warfare because he won't have any weapons to fight back. Why does he do that? Because he is loyal to David. Why? Because he knows this. There are, I'm going to give you the passages. Read chapter 20, verses 12 through 17, verses 30 and 31, verses 20, chapter 23 and verse 17. I'm going to read that one for you. It says... Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Listen to this, what Jonathan says. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Here's what he knows. I know God doesn't have my dad to be the king. He's not going to be king. I know he's not. But I know, it. here's what God's plan is. You're going to be king, and I'll be second to you. Now, that's amazing to me. <laughs> that's amazing to me. Instead of being next in line to his father, his loyalty is to David. And he goes, when, my, when, when Saul is gone... You're going to be the king. I know that's God's plan, and I'm going to be next to you. You know why? Because you know what his real loyalty was? God. God and his plan. He was more loyal to that than anything, and that's why he could see his dad in the perspective that he was really in, and that's how he could put David above his own father, and he could choose, hey, family is not my supreme loyalty. It's God, his plan for Israel and the monarchy, whether that always means I'm second to to Saul or to you it's fine i don't have to be the rule you know why because that's what shapes my loyalty so ask yourself the question is that true for you is that true in your family what is your supreme loyalty and is everything else subservient to that do you have the supreme loyalty in the second door dairy or loyalties ordered correctly David I mean Jonathan was loyal to David over his father and the reason was is because his supreme loyalty was God. Now we said earlier there are some supreme sec, or some secondary loyalties that challenge our supreme loyalty and I wrote down a bunch more of them job, sports, education, ethnicity, politics, personal likes and dislikes, preferences, things that you think the way they should be, getting your own way. Um, I like this certain leader. I don't like this other one. Uh, uh, even pastors, authors that I, I you know, spouse, family, uh, friends, entertainment choices, conveniences, you know, those are all have place in our lives, and there's not wrong to have most of those things in your life. But the problem is what when secondary things become supreme things, and you know what they're called when that happens? Idolatry. Idolatry is putting something equal to or higher in your supreme loyalty than God. Jesus, if you'll turn to John 13, was meeting with his disciples for the last time. They were going to have the Passover meal because Jesus was to be crucified that weekend. In John chapter 13, in verse 1, it reads... Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, notice that. His hour is a a phrase that is mentioned a boatload of times. Uh, I think, if not mistaken, 12 times. And it refers to, even at the start of the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through, and Jesus knows his hour. His hour is when he would finish his responsibility of dying on the cross, It was his hour. And so here's what Jesus says I know that I'm going to die pretty soon, and he knows all that that's going to entail. Watch. He also knows look what else he knows. He knows he's going to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. You know what else he knows? Keep reading. He knows that Judas is going to betray him because he knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows when he's going to do it, and he knows how he's going to do it. He knows because he's already told Peter, I know that Judas is going to betray me. I know that you're going to deny me. And he also knows this because he warns his other disciples that when it comes time to go into the cross, not one of you will be there because all of you are going to run in the garden of Gethsemane and you'll forsake me. See, here's what he knows. I'm going to be crucified by the people I came to save. My closest friends, all of them, including my number one disciple, denial, betrayal, and forsake me. All of them. Now read the phrase again. This is all the things he knows. Now look what it says. And he loved his own. That's amazing enough. But you know what it says at the end? And he loved them to the end. Telos in the Greek. He loved them till it was completed. You know what that means? He stayed loyal. Here's a question. Did Jesus, was he loyal to a fault I think he was. I think he was loyal when people weren't loyal back. Can I say this? I think it's accurate. I think Jesus, he was betrayed and felt what that meant and the pain of it probably more than anybody else in history. I think he experienced betrayal, denial, forsaking, disloyalty. He was even separated from his father because of our sin in that way. He experienced that in ways that we'll never grasp or understand. But here's what's true of him. And he was loyal to them. He loved them to the end. More than that. You know what happens after his resurrection? The guy that denied him, his number one disciple, and he did it three times in front of people publicly. He meets him purposely on the shore and has breakfast with him, and he reinstates him, and Jesus fights so that Peter will remain loyal to him. He rebuilds, he initiates the rebuilding of trust in his life. Jesus initiates all of that. We find it very difficult to be loyal to that extreme, to be loyal to a fault like that. I mean, someone is disloyal to us, we write them off, we don't have anything to do with them, we condemn them, whether it was the first time, the third time. I mean, wasn't Peter shocked when Jesus said, hey, how many times can I try to forgive somebody? Maybe seven times. And I think Peter thought that seven times was outrageous. And then Jesus says 70 times sevens. I don't know what Peter knew what to think about that. I know forgiveness and trust are different. I'm not that simple, right? I, I get that. I mean, Judas was the one who took the money bag. So even if he was forgiven at one point, you don't trust him with the money bag for a while, right? I, I get all that. But what I want you to see is, here's what, he was loyal to them, and he fought uh, to have them be loyal back with him. And he made the initiative. He took it in upon himself to go after them. So which brings me to my last point in five minutes. Loyalty Loyalty lesson number three. Loyalty will often be tested, often be tested. Listen, be careful, because if you think you're a loyal person, And you have people, friends in your life, you think you're loyal to an organization, you think you're loyal to this, that, and the other, other people in your life, your spouse, your family. If you think you really are, it may be that you just haven't been tested severely enough. Ruth said, let me tell you how extreme my loyalty is. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. I don't have to have your son as my husband to do that. Listen, I don't have to have you be able to give me anything. You can't make food come, you can't provide that, you can't provide money. There was nothing Naomi could give her. She says, I want you to know my loyalty doesn't change. See, a lot of people change because their job isn't giving them what they wanted anymore. And so they look somewhere else. But here's what she says. I'll die where you die. And and she says, I'll be buried where you're buried. I mean, she goes to (laughs) some pretty verbal extremes, right? But she wants her to know. And then it says, this is what it says. And the next verse says, and when she saw, she was determined to go with her. And the word determined means to be strong, bold. She was so firm about it and so bold. She says, she stopped talking to her about it. She says, I I try to talk you out of it. If you're going to be this stubborn, so be it. And she stopped talking to her about it. And can I tell you this? Her loyalty to Naomi changed Naomi's life. Who was bitter, depressed, blamed God for everything, and everything turns completely around. And you know why? Because Ruth, who stood loyal to God, was in her life. More than that, did you know she not just changed Naomi's life? Do you know she changed history? Because Ruth was loyal to Naomi. They went back to Bethlehem. They met Boaz. Boaz married Ruth. And do you know who her great-grandson was? King David. We have King David because a foreigner was loyal to God and to Naomi that's what can happen in changing people's lives she had the where right and she had the who right because she had god right let me ask you you can look at jonathan how far would you go jonathan ends up dying but he dies with his, ba- his father saul on malkabot they die together so he was loyal to his dad but proportionately, Dad, I'll be with you when you need me the most. I'll die on the hill with you. I will. But I will not let you kill my, my friend David. I will not divorce myself and a, detach myself from the truth and God's plan. I'll be loyal to you, but only this far, because I have to be loyal to God first. And let me tell you this. It cost him. It ended up costing him his life. And t- by the way, when his son, who, the woman watching him, when his son was a small child, they heard that his dad had been killed by the Philistines. They ran for cover and to hide themselves, she dropped Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and the kid was lame his whole life. Even his son suffered repercussions from him being loyal to God and then proportionally being loyal to his dad. His son suffered from it. He was, a, he, he was crippled his whole life. But David takes him in because God even takes care of that. So there you go. How far will you go to be loyal? What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to sacrifice to be loyal? Most of us wouldn't be too much. But for Ruth, she gave up everything to bind herself to Naomi. Jonathan, he gave up everything to be bound to David. It cost him. But nobody was, had more sacrifice and cost and willing to give up than Jesus. What did it cost Jesus to be loyal to you and me? And to his namely to his disciples? Well, it cost him his life. It cost him the cross of Calvary. He gave his life and he loved them to the end. He loved them and was loyal to them when they betrayed him, when they weren't loyal back. We have to decide. It's not cut and dry, is it? It's proportionate. What does the proportionate part look like? It's not always the same for everybody. And it's not always the same result. And there's discernment and there's wisdom needed. But we have patterns, don't we? We have patterns to show that maybe the world's idea of what loyalty is and forgiveness and kindness and patience and long-suffering and thinking the best of people isn't the pattern that we should follow. But there are patterns. Joseph was loyal to his brothers and took care of them, provided for them, and never took vengeance on them. For all those things that they did to him, he was loyal to his brothers, especially when they needed him the most. Job was loyal to God, even when everything, including his family, was lost. I mean, you could go through scripture, can't you? And all kinds, all kinds of examples and stories. Loyalty is such a huge thing. In fact, here's what Jesus says, and I'll close with this. If you read Mark 8, Jesus says, if you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And when my father comes again with his holy angels, then you'll have no part with me. In other words, if you're disloyal to me and you're ashamed of me and you won't keep my word and you won't obey me and you're not loyal to me, he goes, I don't have anything to do with you. When my father comes, you're going to find out that you really aren't part of who I am and what I'm about. Because Jesus says, you'll need to be loyal to me. So ask yourself the question are you loyal to a fault? Are you initiating forgiveness? Are you kind and patient and long-suffering with others as much as God has been with you? Do you recognize tonight how loyal God's been to you through all the things that you've chosen to do wrong? And, And are you trying, with his grace and strength and spirit, are you trying to be loyal to others in the same way that he was loyal to you? Peter was changed by it. Naomi was changed by it. David and Jonathan were changed by it. And there may be people waiting out there to have a friend like you that they really need. Someone who will be loyal through thick and thin and be loyal to them like God's been loyal to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for ancient stories, biblical stories, modern stories, recent relevant stories that we can look at and say, wow, amazing. When I'm thankful for Robertson Robertson, McQuilkin. Who wrote the book, I Promised You? And how he stood by his wife, quit his job as president of a university, of a Christian university, gave up his writing career, also that he could take care of her for years and years, 17 years. Oh, Lord, loyalty. It's amazing. Father, I don't know what the future holds for any of us, but maybe be loyal. Loyal because you are supreme in the affections of our heart. May that relationship of loyalty that we have with you and you have with us, may it touch, shape, form every relationship we have. May we be found loyal in your presence. For your glory and for the good of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.